0: Welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. There is a family rights rally, the children's movement, that will take place May 21st, 2022 at the Washington Monument, Washington, D.C., Northeast Quadrant at 1 p.m. through 6 p.m. The Sponsors Family Forward Project. This is to unify and provide information and networking opportunities for family dealing with CPS. And the mission is to unify all platforms across the nation to make one major statement and demand for reform. So please be there if you can. Right now I have a brand new guest. His name is Bill Dubry. He is a PhD. He has spent a 50-year career working in experimental psychology with special focus on learning theory applications to behavior. Bill's work in quality of life resulted in an expansion of the understandings in learning theory, especially the constructions of theoretical evolutionary models that explain the roots of the unaffected motivational drive system in human behavior. His career concentrated on large-scale planning of of quality-of-life projects and Extensive research. As an experimental psychologist, Bill specialized in the observation and measurement of behavior. Learning theory spawned behavior solutions that worked in addressing even pathological behavior, such as parental child abuse. Over the last four years, Bill shifted his work to address the global epidemic of families destroyed by abusive parents, where the insolence of the family courts has become an enabler using his experimental background, he has crafted solutions to the victims of parental alienation through the lens of directive behavioral strategies, which recognize the pathology quickly and implement procedures that are both intuitively reasoned and we now know are effective modifiers that remove the victims from the experience field that caused and maintained the aberrant alienation-influenced behaviors. I completely welcome you to the show, Dr. Dubree. How are you today?
1: Very good. Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: I'm glad to have you on. How did you get involved in all of this?
1: Four years ago, I became aware of an epidemic that seemed to be all over the world, and the epidemic was uh, a change in human behavior that had resulted in a rise of uh, parents who would abuse children in such a way that rendered the children uh, incapable or afraid to interact with their other parent. So as I began to investigate this problem, um, it became apparent that over the last 40 years the court system which seems to direct most of the action uh, becomes cemented into a methodology that just doesn't work. Uh, Mm -hmm. Children were not being rescued and the system was totally dependent on delegation methods that created unaffordable billings for people literally all over the world.
0: Mm That I have so, to agree with.
1: <laughs> so I um, decided to spend a full year uh, investigating this problem and started working in New Zealand, then Australia, throughout Europe, uh, had interactions with the European Court of Human Rights. Um, then, of course, North America, uh, Canada, United States mostly. and began to see a pattern emerge that was uh, really startling. Um, In fact, there seemed to be a uniform conformity from one court to another independent of the country. And that is uh, something that no one would expect. You would think that courts would make decisions that were more idiosyncratic. In other words, matching the, the issues of the presenting parents with a solution that would work. But in no case did I find that. And so it's been uh, become a disaster that has bankrupted families and it continues to be a disaster to this day. Um, really, when you look at the family courts, and I guess most of what I'm going to talk about today is really going to revolve around the issue specifically of this epidemic of parents who are, have, have children who have rejected them. And, uh, and the court's behavior in such a situation and how they behave and what the solution is. And if we have time, I'll even go into the etiology of what I have come constructed as the cause of parents who abuse children. Um, when you look at the family courts, it's a stunning display of behavioral stupidity and ignorance. The operation of families is about, it's about behavior, not legal constructs and jargon. Courts don't understand this. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's the wrong tool. The system resembles an open-air prison, mostly, where decisions on family dynamics such as custody or child support decisions. So it either locks people in or out of exercising what really for 5 million years is an evolutionary understanding of what we've always thought of as natural rights. But its decisions are rendered as biased preferences for the most part, since no lawyer or judge in my experience in four years, either possesses behavioral knowledge and they avoid accountability
2: Mm -hmm.
1: by delegating away uh, such concerns to people specialized in mental health. Uh, Family courts behave like an imperious nobility expecting unquestioned obedience and reverence. The subject of mental health is one that I'd like to spend a few minutes to talk about because for the most part, the courts defer all of their decisions and their orders to be resolved by mental health professionals. And what are what do we mean by that? Um, in family courts, mental health people represent the. Um, the therapist, reunification therapists, the guardians, oftentimes guardians or mental health people, and certainly the evaluators and this new class of people called parental coordinators, oftentimes are, have mental health backgrounds. It's astonishing to come face to face with today's court's referred mental health practitioners, whose opinions reflect more often stupidity as a virtue.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Faced with an urgent task where suspicions give rise to child abuse, mental health workers seem chained chained to a dogmatic principle or principles of training in what are non-directive and client-centered talk therapies. A common-sense question that most any person on the street could confidently answer is, if a child were suspected of being abused, would it be best to remove the child from the circumstance where the circumstances correlated with the abuse or enable the abuse by allowing the child to continue to live in close proximity to the suspected cause? Hmm. And this is an interesting question. Because the courts, whenever they're confronted with a suspicion of a child behaving in a way that's not expected towards another parent, and this could be in the court as testimony, could be in a variety of circumstances, but when they have that suspicion, the way they deal with that suspicion is immediately defer that child to a therapist and order the child to the primary care of the abusing parent, which is totally counterintuitive to anything anybody could possibly imagine. The therapeutic talk process refuses to confront the child. This is the big problem. It's, uh, therapy is, is the antithesis of the way you need to deal with a child who was involved or suspected of experiencing child abuse. By refusing to confront the child and mindful of suspicions of child manipulation, mental health exacerbates and perpetuates the conditions that maintain the strength of the maladaptive symptoms of the child that defy natural expected behaviors described and displayed as positive attachment. In other words, what we mean by maladaptive behaviors, when a child refuses contact with a parent, there could be a a variety of behaviors that could be described as maladaptive, and that may be under categories such as avoidance, defiance, communication refusal, self-care issues such as uh, uh, not attending to their space, So there's a variety of uh, things that that can be observed. And one of the things about uh, learning theory, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, which is really a solution pathway, an alternative to mental health, is that observation is is truthful. It's it's not something that's listened to and there's no opinions about it. it. And when you can observe an event, you can also describe it and you can measure it and it gives you the powers of prediction, which therapy can't do. So that's what I mean by maladaptive symptoms when a child who's been involved in being trained to be uh, abusive to a parent, in other words to torment a parent or to reject a parent, the the symptoms, the display of behaviors that you would see in that child uh, reflect what I call maladaptive behaviors. Imagine if you will that you stumbled on a house on fire, and from that house were the cries of a child, what would you do? Well, if you're a therapist, there's one pathway, and if you're someone else, there's another pathway. What a therapist typically does is they look at a situation like this as, An irrational fear the child's experiencing. And they will walk into the house on fire and sit down and talk to the child, not confront the child in a way that they ultimately expect to be able to help the child cope with that irrational fear. Um, What would the common person on the street do? Uh, What do you think? Well, guy on the street has actually more common sense than you think. Mm -hmm. And in this situation, would run into the house, uh, would immediately pick up the child and run out of the house. And what that does is that person just is become a way of protecting that child and giving that child a sense of security. And by removing the child from the house also, Uh, creates the circumstance where the child is now in a different experience. One from a very dangerous, fearful experience to an experience that's for the child, creates the circumstance that the child has to learn to adapt to different Mm -hmm. circumstances. And that's a clue to part of the solution pathway that I use when I'm working with with, uh, kids who have been abused. We'll get into that later non-directive client-centered therapy and counseling is not the correct tool for any what we call parental alienation pathology i don't normally use the word parental alienation but uh, it's definitely not the right tool when you have a child who's been abused it's dangerously reckless because it wastes time when the child is being abused, why would you want to leave a child in a place where the, that gives the parent more time to engage with the child and training that child in maladaptive behaviors to refuse another parent? It makes no sense at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It fails to protect the child. It relies on opinions, not clear scientific techniques and objective honesty, especially true of evaluators. It causes frequent clinical enmeshments, allied with the child's maladaptive delusions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It relies on subjective verbal content of the client. It is not equipped to investigate or employ methods of strategic observation. It just doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And there's no real behavioral or clinical analysis or assessment, Thus, no rudder, rudder really to navigate. So, just to reiterate, the difference between therapy and the solution pathway is that therapy is a talk methodology and to engage a child to ultimately help that child deal with or cope with the pathology of, of whatever the fear is. Um, the learning theory approach, which we'll talk about is based on strategic observation, which is honest, real, transparent. Anybody can see it, it can be peer reviewed. And it's a totally different, totally different polar opposite, should say, approach to a therapeutic approach. And it works quickly to identify the, the and describe the behavioral pathologies and to remove the child as quickly as possible from the, the source. Mm-hmm. or is correlated with uh, the maladaptive behaviors. So there's a better way, and we're gonna talk about that. But before we do, let's just talk about the court system for a few minutes more, because I wanna really drive home this point. I have come up, and maybe alone, but I think a lot of parents would agree with me, because one of the things I do is I talk to parents every day, and just in the last month, I think I've talked to over 100 Parents who have been going through this problem worldwide. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of experience talking to them and their experiences in courts. And I believe it's not unfair to say or to suggest that the court system is a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And their reckless decisions, both the court and the court-referred mental health therapists fail to protect. The child, and by their actions, deliberately enable abuse. In other words, the court system itself is the cause of the abuse because well, by agree. allowing the child to stay with a parent, the primary custodian, who is where there's a suspicion that the behavior is somehow developed or enabled in that space. Um, it's what they're doing is perpetuating the problem Mm
2: -hmm.
1: not solving it it is not an exaggeration then to suggest that family court behaves as an incompetent system they don't have any skills and behavior at all
2: Mm -mm.
1: it's designed to deliberately enable and maintain criminally lunatic state of endless abuse Parents respecting the nobility of the family courts, and that's how we're all trained from childhood. Engage in false beliefs in a system that encourages them to abdicate of all things their natural rights. Just walk away from them. The minute you walk through the door of the court, you have given up your rights. You've abdicated your rights to a stranger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How stupid is that? I know. I know it. Parents, uh, well, when a damaged family relinquishes its destiny to the family court, what is not yet damaged in the family is, I guess we'll use a term you'll like, is uh, by the slam of the gavel, thoroughly destroyed by the lunatic decisions of clueless and insouciant people connected to the court. Mm -hmm. So the worst decision you may make in your life is when you have a family conflict is to delegate it to the court. Because once you go through that door, the court assumes power over the situation and assumes guardianship rights over the child. In such a way that the court delegates the entire circus and there's no way out. No. It becomes a treadmill. And you're on it for years.
0: And people get sucked into it very quickly.
1: it's a it's a, uh, it's a despicable system, absolutely. And it's not it does not fit the circumstances of child abuse at all, it does not know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So it's the equivalent of giving matches to a pyromaniac and setting a forest fire Mm -hmm. that's what the court is whatever the problem is they make it a thousand times worse so is it chaos lunacy incompetence or greed that drives the family law syndicate It's all of it. What started as a family conflict, driven by an unhinged alienating parent, evolves into an extreme world of dark confusion, devoid of any reason or common sense. An arrogant, uninformed, incompetent, and willfully ignorant army of experts. Inflates the family's conflicts with extreme and stressful complexity. Mm-hmm. They're the dismal heart of the family law syndicate, the mental health group, which are all billing the client, um, wrecking their financial circumstances along with the the attorneys, and so, basically what happens is the court assumes to delegate all power.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It overrides any humanitarian concerns. It suffocates any meaningful efforts to mitigate success. It threatens draconian criminal consequences for mere disobedience. It expects unopposed compliance to its orders. Resistance becomes futile. Mm -hmm. It sucks out all power, energy, and momentum from the victims. It is a reckless ride to perdition. And target parents learn they are condemned to behave with the cry of the voice unheard, literally. Mm -hmm. Where is it all going to end? It's a nightmare.
0: Yeah. Of magnitude proportions,
1: unimaginable proportions
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if you think I'm kidding, you should spend a day with me talking to these parents
2: mm-hmm.
1: and their experiences with the family courts and the mental health people. Mm-hmm. I hear I have not heard a single person tell me that a mental health individual has ever helped them rescue their child, not once exactly years
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and reunification oh it's no such thing i don't know where it's trained i don't know a single university in the world that trains a a discipline called reunification therapy i don't know where that that came from Mm -hmm. Uh, it's totally made up it's a rudderless group of people that have no idea what they're going to do when they engage a child in talk therapy. But what does happen is the child, whatever is controlling the child's maladaptive behaviors um, is the office of the therapist becomes an extension of the experience field that controls those behaviors. And in no way does it does that help the child? That only makes the child much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start to move a little bit into maybe discussing some of the solution pathway. Okay. Um, first of all, behavior is um, it's a function of learning. And strategic learning is conditioned learning. In other words, when what happens to a child when a child is abused and uh, that abuse is strategic? What we mean by that, there's an agenda. And the agenda is a parent who has some need to be able to cause that child to inflict pain on another individual that process is a learning process all behaviors is, is a function of cause and effect and so even though we don't see the abuse we can't see the cause which is the fallacy of the courts because that's what they're looking for the smoking gun they'll never find it that's why nothing ever happens with these therapists
2: they can't mm-hmm.
1: they, they can't find this the abuse always happens in the dark in other words uh, children are abused in situations where you never there's no no one who corroborates it and even the child frequently won't won't do that Uh, so the child's being trained and of course learning um, if you're doing deliberate agenda-driven training um, that results in the child learning behaviors that uh, are displayed in a specific pattern such as what we describe as maladaptive behaviors that avoidance and disrespect and contact refusal and all that sort of thing and so it's a learning situation that we're looking at the cause is training the child deliberately and uh, the child is either instructed or, and since the child's with that Parent all the time. Most likely, what's happening also is you can assume role modeling, modeling the behavior of the, of the abusive parent. So, all we know and all we can see is what we can observe in the child's behavior and that we can describe. That's honest, but trying to assume, which I, just about everybody I I've talked to who's got an attorney. Is trying to find some mud to sling on the abusing parent in the hopes that the court will buy into it and uh, and they will allege that the parent is abusing the child but it just rarely ever happens Mm -hmm. Um, it's a waste of time actually to go that direction Um, so the behavioral approach what we do when I work with uh, parents to try to overcome this problem, it's, it's, a, per, it's a process of pre- presenting the parent with training, a training scenario where that training is going to result in some change in the parent's behavior that's going to affect how that parent is going to be able to interact with the court. Mm-hmm. So it's a vastly different approach. Uh, no parent's going to get their child back without some work and effort. You can't just delegate to an attorney and hand them a pile of papers and expect anything to happen. It's not going to. It's not going to. It's there is no evidence that this this problem is going away. It just consistently, goes on and on and on for years and years and years until children age out at 18. Mm-hmm. The behavioral approach, which was a learning approach, used a strategic reinforcement procedure to ensure a rapid reshaping and restoring the original. Behavior of the child in other words that child the memory of that parent and that child together when they things were good That's that's what that would be the objective here
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: And of course the learning behavioral approach is far less costly then um, the approach with the attorneys and the reunification therapists and and um, or even these retreats around the country that are run by a number of psychologists that bring kids in for a couple of days and restores their personality. They work, incidentally, there's no, no question that they, they don't work, they do, uh, but not for the reasons that they believe. There's a, a, there is a reason why they work, but uh, we may not have to get time to get into that today. So the learning approach has been, modeled in what is called a procedure especially designed for moderate and severe cases of what is alienation child abuse where contact with the victim child is at risk the procedure is called what i call it as alienate alienation contingency step program Um, it's a six-step program that's a piece of paper that's handed to the court which becomes once we're in the court, becomes the court order. The court, when they order the change in strategy, we are the ones that have handed it to the court. So there's no question about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, mental health therapists don't do that. They don't. They don't give the court a piece of paper and say, "This is. These are the steps we have to go through to get these, get this father and this child, mm-hmm. this mother and this child back together again." Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's it's a paradigm shift completely in the way the court has learned to behave and accepting a strategy from someone outside of the court system and it's not on their referral system and walks in and hands them a piece of paper and says this is, this is not a complex problem, these are the steps and then explain those steps to the court and give them the theoretical understanding of what learning theory is so that they understand how the behavior occurs and why we're not looking for the cause. Because there's no there's no relevance in looking for the cause. Let's assume the child has cancer. You get a call, and someone says, and the parent who's been abusing the child said, instead of abuse, it's cancer. Would you really care what caused the cancer? Do you want to take the child as quickly as possible to the hospital to get him fixed? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're only going to look at the cancer.
2: Mm -hmm. We're not looking
1: at the cause. The cause doesn't matter. So let's suppose uh, the child has maladaptive behaviors, same thing. We're not gonna ask what caused the behaviors. We know that there's a correlation between where the behaviors were learned because all behavior is learned in context. People don't, I mean, it's very simple stuff to understand. And we call that context and experience field. And the experience field and the context has boundaries and everything within those boundaries in learning theory become familiar to the child. The child sees these objects, the streetlights, the streets, the colors, the cars, the schools, all the buildings in the area, and everything by, by virtue of that child exploring that neighborhood becomes familiar. And that familiarity is what comes to control the maladaptive symptoms of the child. In other words, maintains those behaviors and strengthens them, and, uh, as well as the adaptive behaviors of the child. So we know that wherever the behavior is learned, obviously, what I said a few minutes ago, what do you want to do? You want to get the child out of the fire. If the, if the, if the, the neighborhood and the experience field is correlated with the time that the child has spent where the child expresses these maladaptive behaviors, the first thing you want to do is move the child mm-hmm. out of that maladaptive experience field. And put the child somewhere where you can have a reasonable opportunity to extinguish those maladaptive symptoms, and that's what you want to do. You want to cure the cancer, or you want to cure the maladaptive behaviors.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same thing. This is common sense. I mean, any any judge or any person on the street can understand what I'm saying. This is not hard to understand. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But we just don't. We're not trained as a society to think in these terms. So. It's time to break the mold, don't you think? Mm
0: -hmm. Most definitely.
1: So the learning approach is simple. It's honest. It's common sense. It's rapid. And it's affordable. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize this. I mean, they're very surprised. So what is learning theory? It's an explanatory system of all behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the foundation of psychology. A lot of people don't realize that, going back to William James and uh, Pavlov and J.B. Watson, the people I was around when I was a young man 50 years ago, <laughs> Skinner and uh, Joe Wolpe and Harry Harlow, and um, a whole bunch of people that I knew. Um, that's where psychology came from. The therapy was, came more out of the Sigmund Freud variety of uh, thinking. Um, so it's validated. The claims of learning theory are not only validated, all we did is take what all animals do, all primates do, and we just sim- simply organized that knowledge through observation into a body of understanding and rationales and explanations. And from that, we're able to evolve solutions, which we call either uh, operant or classical conditioning are the two processes for the most part that learning theory employs to be able to change behavior. Uh, The focus is on the child. Remember, we don't care about the conflict. Mm -hmm. Learning theorists do not care about the cause. We only care about when we're presented with uh, behavior The question becomes, are we supposed to change behavior or not? When you think about the behavior, how do we establish that the behavior needs to be changed? Well, all behaviors occur on what we call an adaptation continuum. What I mean by that is on one side of the continuum are behaviors that could be described as being productive, and on the other end of the continuum are behaviors that are described as being unproductive. And those behaviors are what I'm talking about as being maladaptive. So for a child to express contact refusal, Mm -hmm. avoid disrespect, all these sorts of things to a parent, what does that imply? Well, it implies the child doesn't have the capacity for empathy or compassion. It implies the child may not have the social skills to be able to express regrets or gratitude. So it's a dangerous situation to allow that to continue. So the objective for a learning theorist is very simple. We see the behavior, we know where it is on the adaptation schedule, and our task then is already pre-designed for us, and that is to change the behavior. Mm -hmm. This isn't hard to understand, but it certainly is when you get it into the complex soup of therapists. Mm -hmm. It takes on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. There's never any answers. There's there's not, no clarity. It's a dark hallway. Whereas learning theory is in the open, in the sunlight, transparent. Anybody can understand it. It appeals to common sense. And it's a strategy that the courts now, I've had great success getting the courts to embrace it. As far away as the European Court of Human Rights, I've had success Mm -hmm. in in England, Ireland, which is a very tough court system because they don't have a family court. One judge hears everything. Mm -hmm. Canada, Alberta, and British Columbia specifically. Mm -hmm. And of course, the United States, my most recent case was in uh, Indianapolis. A judge ordered after, I described what I'm describing to you, a change in the process, took the paper that we handed to the court and endorsed it as the court's order.
2: Hmm.
1: That's the way to solve the problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So...
0: You know, the, let me ask... Yeah. Let, I was going to ask, what do you do with these... Um, a parent that is a personality disorder that uh, obstructs, you know, um, say what, what you're trying to do. And then they've got a psychologist that's going along with them. You know, it's a big mess. I, I mean, I don't know. I still don't well,
1: <laughs> I typically don't pay much attention to the uh, abusing parent, except at the point. Within the framework of what the court wants to do and what I would like to do is restore family dynamic. Our approach is is very compassionate, Mm -hmm. and it looks at the. I tend to look at the parent who's abusing as a person who's in great pain, because what other person could possibly inflict such torture and torment on a child to 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 refuse contact and to and to uh, torment another parent? So that parent. Um, just to use a layman's term, needs fixing. Mm-hmm. Uh, behavioral approaches are very good at working with parents who are have, have their own maladaptive behaviors. And so we will suggest to the court that there be a, an attempt to work with the abusing parent in order to extinguish those behaviors that are a risk to the child so that we can restore a family dynamic, hopefully co-parenting. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate goal. That's what the, I, I think is important for everybody to understand. We're not there as advocates for either parent. We're there as advocates for a child. When learning theory advocates for the person who has the maladaptive symptoms, mm-hmm. not, not the parents. So. And I agree with you that the uh, abusing a parent often gets support from the therapeutic community. That's very right. That that happens all the time. The evaluators who basically, whoa, what, let's just think about this for a minute. Now this is a, something that most people don't think about. When you're in a courtroom and one parent is an abusing parent and the other parent is a loving parent, which parent do you think expresses sadness and, um, distress, in which parent expresses confidence and is, um, is, uh, seems totally um, together and, al- and aligned with uh, their purpose. Well, mm-hmm. the, the parent who's lost a child is the one who expresses the appropriate emotion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The court looks at that as weakness, mm-hmm. oftentimes ordering evaluation in order to sort out what the court seems to falsely believe is a bad parent, a parent who's, for some reason, this child behaves this way because this parent, look at this parent, parent can't hold themselves together in the court. Well, it's a cool, calm, collected parent who I know clinicians like to talk about as sociopaths. <laughs> They're much better in court in performing than the parent who has a legitimate emotional concern for their child. They look different and they behave differently. So um, the courts, in fact, don't have the perspicacity or the sensitivity to be able to see and understand um, a parent who is um, suffering, And that suffering, which we often call trauma, is really that parent is is crying out for their child. And and that would be what you would expect of a healthy parent. On the other hand, a parent who's abusing a child (laughs) Mm -hmm. does not have that level of emotional attachment. And you can see that in the courtroom. You can see it in their behavior. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, if anybody describes them, and I have gotten close enough to them, Through communications that I've been able to get, assess basically what and describe their behaviors, and they are uh, much much colder. You know, they don't have these warm emotions for for their child, because the child really, in a meaningful way, becomes treated as property by the by the abusing parent. Mm -hmm. It's a tool, and so. When you understand those differences, and of course, learning theory looks at, it, because we're trained in strategic observation and not just to listen to people, you can see this behavior
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can measure it. You can even predict it. So it's a very powerful way, change in the, in the strategy of going into a courtroom. And uh, we feel that um, the only solution right now is, to get the courts to recognize there has to be a paradigm shift in the way Mm -hmm. in which the courts handle specifically cases of child abuse. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Where a child is, when the suspicion comes to the court, instead of delegating to mental health people, to uh, use a strategy which I've just detailed, which is where the parent is called upon the one with the most experience with the child the emotional experience and history with the child is the one who's trained to recover their child so what we do is we train the trainer
2: mm-hmm.
1: we train the child we train the we don't train the child we train the parent of the child to recover their own child we don't send them to a retreat mm-hmm. so as a consequence the enormous cost of these programs around the country that are and I won't mention the names of the people who run them, but most people know who I'm talking about um, they're very effective, but the reason why they're effective is because when you remove a child from a fire to a, a brook in a field you're going to see a change in behavior
2: mm-hmm.
1: child's no longer the, the, the threat is gone so when you take the threat away, it does change behavior so when you move a child from an experienced field where the child is operating with the abusing parent to a location where you have what we would call a novel experience, field, where there's the child is uh, confronted with a moment of what we call awkwardness. We all go through, everybody feels that, when we go to a new hotel room somewhere, or vacation, or a cruise ship, or take a drive in the country someplace you haven't been before. Uh, the term is awkwardness, and awkwardness forces people in a learning, Um, way of thinking into adapting and adaptation processes where we have the power to extinguish the maladaptive symptoms and recover the child's behavior. Mm. This is not hard stuff to understand and the person most effective in doing this once they're trained and understand uh, something about the specific reinforcement procedures and tools that can be used out of the toolbox we have in learning theory. We train them in that. Specific to the needs of that specific child, understanding some of the reinforcement background of the child, the child's behavior changes. It's just that simple. It's not that this is not hard. Uh, so, it's a very different approach. Um, it's a compassionate approach. It's an affordable approach. It's one that doesn't require an attorney. The attorneys are good for procedure, but they don't understand behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a few attorneys that I have worked with seem to like this process. So um, once they understand it, they like it. The only thing that concerns me is that the therapists probably don't like it, would probably call me reckless because it really what I am is not a threat to the child. I'm a threat to their income
2: mm-hmm.
1: And that seems to be something that drives the court system, the syndicate is money i don't mm-hmm. know any other explanation for it because everything they do is counterintuitive and rises exactly. to the level of stupidity and as i say the whole system behaves as though stupidity were a virtue mm-hmm. yeah now if people would like to learn more about what i do and uh they were a small organization growing um, one by one, we're acquiring people with behavioral backgrounds who can do the same thing I've just discussed. And anybody who's a behaviorist could do what I'm doing. This is nothing, it's a, you can look everything I've said, you can look up in a book somewhere, a, a graduate school textbook, probably. Um, but uh, you can reach us for an appointment. You can schedule your own appointment. And I'll just quickly give you, if you, anybody, get your pencil and paper together i'll give you the uh, the address to go to online which will send you to a uh, scheduling appointment calendar it's www.hopeindarkness all small letters hope in darkness h o p e i n d a r k n e s s . m e forward slash appointment dot htm a p p o i n t m e n t dot htm so if you go on that link you'll be able to access uh, a scheduling calendar and you can schedule an appointment and we'll have uh, a discussion we'll get a team together and they'll they'll come and talk to you about your, your specific issues. And if learning theory is an application, it can work to help solve your problem. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It was, it was a real pleasure.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with everything you said about the courts.
1: They are despicable. Yes. Unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, they're hurting so many generations to come down the pike than they care to know about.
1: The uh, courts are directly enabling child abuse. And when the judge understands, his accountability or her accountability for this child abuse it will c- cause them to want to make a change in the strategy and to date, nobody has done that so what we do is we put the court on trial mm-hmm. we don't put the we're not interested in the uh, the parents doesn't matter we're only interested in rescuing this this child and helping to fix these maladaptive behaviors Mm -hmm. so when the court realizes their accountability for these behaviors like any person they are inspired to think that they may not want to continue that behavior because they're given a choice Mm -hmm. here's the piece of paper the solution pathway to ending this despicable behavior Mm -hmm. or your honor you can go ahead and Order the same thing over and over again and expect different results. All you're mm-hmm. going to wind up doing is hurting this child. So that's our, that's our message to the court.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I'd like to see you come back on as a guest, if you like.
1: Sure, I would love to do that. Uh, thank you very much.
0: Oh, well, great. Well, hey, uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Dr. Dubree in the Future and other exciting guests. Thank you so much, Dr. Dubree.
1: You're quite welcome. I look forward to seeing you again.
0: Definitely.